You're listening to Retail Disrupted, a podcast that explores the latest industry developments and the trends that will shape how we shop in the future. I'm your host, Natalie Berg. It is a pleasure to have Maureen Hinton on the show this week. Maureen recently retired from her role as Group Research Director at Global Data Retail, where she previously led a global team of analysts and was responsible for retail and apparel content. Maureen, however, has not retired from retail, and today she spends her time writing and commenting on retail matters in the media, as well as at industry events. She's also working on ad hoc consultancy projects and is a longstanding member of the KPMG Retail Next Retail Think Tank. So I've had the privilege of getting to know Maureen better over the past year, and I am honored to have her on the show today. Maureen, welcome to Retail Disrupted. Oh, hi, Natalie. It's nice to speak to you. Um, Well, you and I both sit on the KPMG Retail Next um, think tank, so we we meet quite often. And yes, I've um, sort of semi-retired. I was uh, running the research team, the retail research team at Global Data, and now I'm more freelance. I've done some chairing of a conference for them um, and just doing some opinion pieces and just keeping up with what's going on in retail with commentating, etc. So it's great to be doing this with you. It's, it's nice to be able to chat to you and also all, everybody else on the team at um, the KPMG think tank as well, getting well, the view of what's going on everywhere. Well, it certainly sounds like you're keeping busy. So again, really appreciate you taking the time to be here today. So we are going to be talking about retailer resilience. But first, I want to get your thoughts on consumer resilience. We've had some positive news recently with inflation easing. And in recent months, we've even seen wage growth outpacing inflation. So encouraging headlines. But of course, If you dig a little deeper, you get a slightly more nuanced picture. Yes, inflation is decelerating, but it's still more than twice the 2% target set by the Bank of England. Yes, wages going up and inflation going down is good news, but consumers have had two years now of high inflation eroding their purchasing power. So I don't think they're going to feel the effect of this overnight, and they're certainly not going to alter their spending habits overnight. And the last thing I'd say is that Consumer prices, food prices especially, are still pretty high. So the latest ONS data from October showed that UK food inflation dropped to 10.1%. So it is easing, but it's still pretty high. Prices are still 30% higher than they were in January 2021. And if you look at some specific products, prices of sugar, baked beans, canned tomatoes, cooking sauces... All of these products are still at least 50% higher than in January 2021 as the benchmark. So my take, Maureen, is that all is not rosy. (laughs) We're not economists. I'm not going to ask you for, you know, your economic outlook here. But I'm curious to get your general take on the consumer right now. Are retailers going to have to continue to fight tooth and nail to capture some of that spend? Or do you think maybe we're starting to move in the right direction and retailers can finally breathe a sigh of relief. 
Well, I don't think um, retailers can ever breathe a sigh of relief um, in the current situation. I think the consumer has been fairly resilient. And post-COVID, there was quite a lot of COVID savings that we were spending. So we, we had that to fall back on. I'm not saying everybody had COVID savings. Obviously, there were a lot of people that didn't. But we also saw that bounce back the physical retail. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I think that was because we're social animals. We want to get out. Uh, We stopped buying everything online because we want to go and look at stores. And so we've seen that big bounce back. But I think what's going to happen in the future, we're going to get back to that equilibrium where you'll see that online sales are slightly ahead of physical sales. And it will go back to a much lower level than it has been before. And I think Mm. the the main problem is that um, now what we're seeing, as you were saying about inflation, is prices are so high um, that we're being much more selective about what we buy. And therefore, one of the things the ONS reported that everybody jumped on last week, it was, was that um, volumes were down. They were negative and they were down more than um, commentators were expecting. But what they don't ever sort of focus on is that sales are up. So sales have been increasing, though not in line with inflation, nowhere near in line with inflation. But that just means that we're being we're buying fewer items all the time. And volumes have been negative since um, a year ago last March. So it just means that there are some winners and some losers. And I think within retail, what we're doing is we're being very selective about what we buy. We all have to eat, so you can mm. see that you know the supermarkets do okay, although not all of them. Um, but it's on sort of non-food that we're becoming much more selective. Yeah, I think you're right, and there's always winners and losers within retail. The point about um, the pandemic, the pandemic savings, rather, is um, it's really interesting because the Bank of England has said now that UK households have probably run down their COVID savings. And it's it's always, I, I can imagine, a really hard thing to to measure. But um, but I think, you know, to, to a certain extent, especially when it came to discretionary spending, which I think we're all being a little bit more cautious doing, you know, regardless. But I think that that has certainly helped to um, provide a, a buffer, certainly helped to kind of um, prop up a little bit of the spending perhaps that we've seen over the past couple of years. And then also, you know, again, without getting, you know, too focused on the economy here, but also the fact that interest rate rises, um, I think that's putting the fear in a consumer group that has up until pretty recently been largely insulated from the the cost of living crisis. So it'll be interesting to see the effect of, uh, you know, mortgage bills going up at the same time as although inflation is easing, uh, it's it is decelerating. It's it, we still have prices going up in shops. So I think that combination will be uh, interesting to see how that plays out, uh, you know, into the into the next year. Yeah, I think it's a, it's discretionary spending a lot. Um, and during COVID, so many households spent a lot of money on their houses um, and spent money on, you know, electricals. And, and of course, when, when you buy big ticket items, you don't buy those every year. So there's going to be a time lapse before people will be investing in big ticket items and they haven't got the money to invest. So it, it's mm-hmm. um, in those kind of areas that it's going to be much slower. And as you say, with mortgage rates going up and interest rates as well, which means that if you're borrowing money, it's more expensive. So I think 
you know, we are going to see much lower growth going forward, and it's going to be much harder for um, those sort of also ran retailers to to generate um, income, especially if they haven't got the financial backing, which is, you know, what having a financial strength is really necessary, as well as having brand strength. Yeah, so that's yeah, a so nice that's a nice segue to move on to retail resilience. So we're going to talk about how retailers can build resilience or in some cases rebuild it, and then crucially, how they can maintain it. So Maureen, which retailers spring to mind when you hear the word resilience and what is it that they're getting right? Well, I think it's always next that it springs <laughs> to mind because they're, um, Simon Wolfson or Lord Wolfson um, is, is so transparent about what they're doing, what their strategy is. But you can see it's also um, very analytical. Everything is um, analysed, including the consumer. And that's, um, that is really what's uh, sort of driving the growth, is you know, understanding what, what the consumer is doing, but also keeping costs down, running efficient businesses. Um, and also, I think you can... There is also, you can say, because we've lost some of those weaker players like Debenhams, um, you're, you're picking up sales from those that exit the market. So there's some sort of um, help that being given by a smaller market. So the spending is going over, say, fewer retailers. I'd agree with that. I think Next is a, a great example of a retailer that just consistently gets it right. And, you know, a lot of people refer to Next as a, as a bellwether, but I think they're more um, sort of the gold standard of high street retailing. And, and yeah, I absolutely agree. I think, you know, data is the heart of, of their business. Um, you know, they, I, I said this on a previous podcast episode with, um, with Graham Salt. One of the stats that I love about Next is that they went into the pandemic with over half of their sales already online. So again, it just shows, you know, they were a real early adopter in terms of digitizing um, their physical space, but also evolving their e-commerce model. You know, they're moving much more towards a, a marketplace model. And, and they're not the only fashion retailer, of course, to do this. But also um, in terms of, you know, maintaining price integrity, that's another thing I think Next does really well. They don't just, you know, offer those blanket discounts, you know, every every six weeks or so. You know, they, they really do uh, hold on to uh, to that um, their pricing and and I think that that plays a role as well. So yeah, I, I think I think also that they've learnt from mistakes because they haven't always been you know great at everything they do. They got fashion wrong a few times um, in the past, and I remember you know one of their presentations them saying well um, the CEO saying that they were playing it too safe. So there's more ability to take a risk um it, they've got a culture where it's about re you know about innovation mm. um, and taking managed risks because everything is analyzed very well but I, I think that that's what you have to do you have to keep moving forward all the time and learn from mistakes and that's what next has been doing and i think the other sort of standout performance at the moment obviously is mns which has um, turned around what is, you know, has been a sort of very lackluster retailer for, for a long time. But that is, again, just looking at everything very closely and focusing on 
the the consumer and and innovating. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned MS because I think that's that's um a really nice segue, especially around the topic of um admitting that, you know, you get things wrong, you learn from your mistakes and you pick up and, and start again. One of the things I thought was really interesting from their most recent um trading update was uh, their CEO, Stuart Macon, posted a video on LinkedIn, and he talked about M&S being, in his words, positively dissatisfied. Yeah, and- I thought that was great. That's a very good um, <laughs> um, use, I think, of a strategy. You know, being positively dissatisfied with everything you do means that you're always going to be trying to improve, isn't it? Exactly. Exactly. You use the word restless as well. And I thought, I thought that's the kind of mentality that retailers need um to not only survive but to really thrive during this period of change and disruption and also it sounded a little bit like amazon i mean obviously i've spent a lot of time you know researching and um you know talking about amazon and uh, the way that i sum up amazon's success in one line is that they have a relentless dissatisfaction with the status quo i think that is the the best way to sum up what's kind of led them to be so successful and it's really i think it's really um it's really inspiring to see some legacy high street retailers taking on that mentality and recognizing that complacency isn't an option that you can't rest on your laurels i think everybody knows that but actually going and turning around a super tanker like m&s i mean that that takes a lot of time a lot of investment and as you pointed out already a lot of cultural change as well yeah i think complacency is is a very good word cuz there's no way retailers can be complacent about anything um, mm-hmm. these days because it's shifting and you've got so much competition out there. You've always got to be better at what you do. Yeah, absolutely. And M&S, I mean, M&S really has struggled, uh, I'd say, for decades with, yeah, yeah, with an definitely. identity crisis, right? It's It's been a long time coming. And I think, you know, for a long time, they were trying to be all things to all people. And I always say that if you were building a retailer from scratch today, there is no way that you would put together premium food, mid-market clothing, and then chuck some furniture and put all of that under one roof. I mean, that's not what you would build, right? (laughs) So they... they, Sorry. No, no, carry on. I was going to say, I think the the fact that they've got a completely new fashion team in, I think Maddie Evans has done, um, and her team, because it's not just her, but they brought in from outside they brought in that um you know well obviously arcadia went bust but they they had a very strong fashion presence and um they were much speedier especially with top shop so i think i think just bringing in new energy and also understanding what the consumer wanted that you want style uh, as well as quality and value and, and that's what they lacked all the time in fashion is style. I went years without buying anything at M&S because it's so boring. But they really um, managed to to turn that round. But again, that's something that, um, as I said, with, with Next, you can never sit on your laurels with one season. You have to keep improving all the time and keep really engaging with the customer. Yeah, I think M&S has done really well to reposition itself. and And I think they have had to take some risks in order to stay relevant. So, you know, they will, you know, I I think naturally they will have alienated some customers as part of this 
that is part of their new strategy and new focus. But I think that, you know, focusing more on, for example, young families, I, I know that's been a really big uh, strategic move for them and it's, it's paying off. So well, I think, well, okay, carry on, go ahead. No, I was going to say, because you, you can't just follow your customer because your customer literally dies. So <laughs> you, you will, I think one of the things next is always um, aimed at that family life stage. That's had to, you know, that 25 to 45 year old family life stage. I think that um, MS is slightly older and perhaps slightly richer than the typical Next um, customer. And Next has got a very big children's wear offer, which just actually shows where it is in a way. Um, but yes, you're, you're right. It's um, just identifying and engaging with that um, that particular life stage is, is where you're going to have most of your spending really especially for that kind of mid-market um, retailer yeah and, yeah, I, think and I think being braver being... and going after a specific demographic um, you know then you get a clearer focus around how you build a product or build you know a range for those uh, for that core cu- customer and, and yes you know, I think their stores needed refreshing and revitalizing. They needed to catch them in digital. And I think they've done really, really well to do all of those things. But I think at the end of the day, the biggest factor in my view, and be curious to hear what you think, Maureen, but I think the biggest factor in their turnaround has really been focusing on product. Oh, definitely. That was one of the things that um, really annoyed me with one of their presentations a, a few years back was that um, it was talking about their strategy, but product was not the first thing that they were looking at. It was sort of way down the line. And obviously product, if you haven't got a good product or an attractive product at the right price, first time, then why will people shop with you? Exactly. Gap used to be, it was never the right price. It was always discounted. It's um, you're on a losing path if you don't get the product right. Yeah. And something I've noticed this week, because obviously I've been following Black Friday very closely, we're recording this on uh, Wednesday, November 22nd. Black Friday is officially this Friday, November 24th, although it feels like it's been going on for, well, it has been going on for weeks. <laughs> it doesn't feel like it. It has been going on since the beginning of, uh, of November. But I've noticed, I've been watching all the retailers really closely, and I've noticed that MS has not pulled the trigger yet. They're one of the few retailers that have not, have not offered Black Friday deals. Maybe they're holding out for the big day, but you know, a few years ago, I think by now you'd see those big blanket discounts. You know, twenty percent off everything, and and I think that that in itself is a sign that they are being, uh, you know, more strategic and more targeted in in some of these uh, these big events. Yeah, I think that's um, that's happening uh, with quite a few retailers now. Those even those that have got Black Friday offers. They're not. It's not blanket Black Friday offers. It's just a select few, and I think that that's um, it just shows in a way how retailers don't want to lose margin just by throwing you know, offers at us just before Christmas. Because as I said before, we are being quite selective about what we buy. We don't want to just spend lots of money just because it's got a low price. We're just thinking: Do we really need this? Do we really want this? So, um, you know, why lose margin when it's not necessary? Yeah, I think consumers are definitely being more mindful this year. They're being um, those, those discretionary purchases, which let's face it, fashion is very discretionary. They are more considered. 
But also, I guess it'd be interesting to get your views, Maureen, on how the weather has impacted retail. We've had unseasonably warm weather this autumn. We had a very wet July, and I know that's kind of wreaked havoc with fashion retailers over the past few months. But I mean, to what extent do you think retailers are, are retailers kind of sitting on excess inventory because the weather has stopped us from wanting to buy, you know, coats and scarves and gloves and that kind of thing? And, and do you think there'll be di- deep discounts as a result? I think there's probably going to be discounts on things like coats and scarves. But I always find this, uh, it's n- nobody in retail is prepared to be brave and not bring in their winter um, heavyweights until October. They always bring them in in September. And we always seem to have a warm September. It, it's just, um, it's, it's, it's a practice that's gone on for years and nobody wants to break it. So unless you actually bring in that product, knowing that you probably will have to discount it at some stage and have built that into the margin, you're always going to lose out. Yeah, and you're but- right. The weather In the UK, the weather does have an impact on us because it, it tends to be a bit up and down. If it's warm in the right at the right time, then you get good sales of summer product. Um, if it's warm in the winter, then we're left with lots of um, heavyweight product. Yeah, I have seen just in the past couple of days, a lot of, um, oh my God, I think all of our inboxes are probably <laughs> filled with uh, Black Friday deals. It's a, always a really good time to unsubscribe from uh, those retailers that you maybe don't shop from on a regular yeah. basis. But um, but yeah, I have seen more and more, and I won't name and shame, but you know, initially I saw the odd you know, 25% off deals but just in the past couple of days i've seen more and more of those across a number of uh of high street brands and i was surprised because i think generally i think what i've observed this black friday and i um, dedicated a whole podcast episode to this last week but what i've observed is retailers looking to things like flash sales vip access you know pre black friday um discount codes you know again trying to make uh, instill that sense of um urgency but also this uh idea that you know this this code is special it's just for you you're one of our preferred customers so that might encourage shoppers to uh to loosen their their purse strings but it's been interesting for me just to observe and again this is purely anecdotal but i've definitely seen um more and more fashion retailers offering those kind of 20 25 off everything uh deals one of the things though that um and i'd be interesting to see what zara's um reports when it reports its sales because I felt that fashion itself wasn't helping retailers this season because it's so um, embedded into browns and camels and greys and blacks. I've never seen Zara look so boring. You go in there and there's no colour and I just wonder if that will have an impact on its sales or whether its younger customer doesn't have loads of black and grey already. Yeah, it would be interesting to see that because I have noticed that some some of the ranges that I've seen that I would normally buy from, I thought, oh, God, that's really boring um, and haven't bought from them. Now I'm getting they keep on emailing me saying they've got 20 (laughs) percent off and it's blanket coverage. They've got 20 percent off, as you're saying. So I think it's not just weather. It could also be that rather boring fashion. I think M&S. does have some of that, but they, it has far more colour. The fact that it's, it's got 
um, you know, it's, it, it was showing that it's um, saturated blue and it's, um, you know, it's lime green has, has done really well for it. And I think, yeah, we do need a bit of cheering up sometimes. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I just had a look at Zara's website as you were um, as you were talking and they are not currently doing Black Friday as well. So yeah, it's it's funny as we get closer to the actual day, you know, this this list of retailers not offering discounts is getting smaller and smaller. But interesting to see some big high street brands like Zara and M&S still holding out, I presume, for uh, for the actual day. Yeah, I, th- I think do they just discount what um what's not selling well rather than go into Black Friday because that in a way um, denigrates the brand rather, doesn't it? It it doesn't, it loses a bit of its exclusivity if it's just a Black Friday deal from um, a fashion retailer. Yeah. I think by the fourth week of November, we are all suffering from Black Friday fatigue, right? Um, I'm curious, Maureen, to get your views on how successful you think Black Friday will be this year, because I'm getting the sense that views are pretty polarized on this. And it's always fun to have this debate as industry observers. But uh, on the one hand, the naysayers are taking the view that, look, the consumer is feeling fragile. We've already talked about things like mortgage rates going up no pandemic savings to fall back on. And then on top of all that, the official Black Friday day, the 24th of November, falls before payday. So that will impact some shoppers' ability to spend. Then you have this other camp who are saying, actually, we're going to have a bumper Black Friday. Yes, we agree with all of the doom and gloom, but Christmas won't be canceled. People still want deals. They're going to work harder and be smarter to make their budgets go further and therefore black friday becomes even more relevant so what do you think marine what kind of black friday are you expecting um i don't think it's going to be a bumper black friday in that it's you're going to see massive more sales than there were last year Uh, i think as we're saying i think people are being very selective and it is a case of bringing forward your Christmas spend when to get a bargain, which has always been the case, I think, with Black Friday. You're, you're looking, if you've got money to spare, then you'll spend it because you're getting a good deal. But it's really like a sale period before before Christmas. So if you can, yeah, if you're looking for a, an air fryer, for instance, why not buy it now if you can get it at a lower price than you would normally have had to spend on it? So it's it's things like. Uh, it's it's about being selective. I just don't think, you know, the general trend is that we're not buying lots and lots of things anymore. We're being more selective about what we spend our money on. So I think there will be sales, but it's going to be, I think, you know, things like clothing and uh, fashion are less likely to benefit from it because we don't need those things and we're not really being driven by must-haves. Whereas, as PwC has said recently, when they've done a survey, haven't they? And mm-hmm. they that men tend to be the ones that have said they're going to spend more this time and they're more likely to spend because they're looking at technology. And that makes sense. So you, you, if you can get technology at a lower price, 
But I think it was quite interesting that there are no really strong technology trends coming through because there's no new sort of launches of anything that would make you want to to buy specific technology at the moment. So I, I tend to think it's not, I don't think it's going to be a big bump of Black Friday, but you could prove me wrong, Natalie. <laughs> we can have a debrief post Black Friday. Uh, you know, I might be wrong as well. Um, I think that's that's part of the fun of uh, being an analyst and getting to put your predictions out there and uh, see when you're right and, and when you're not. But um, have you bought anything, Maureen? No, no, I haven't. Um, I did earlier in the summer when Amazon had its Prime Day, I did buy um, an air fryer, um, but then I sent it back because it was far too big for our kitchen. So, <laughs> to, to the kitchen. Oh, so buyer's remorse. Uh, yeah, and, buyer's okay. remorse. <laughs> or right. should, should have measured it better, I think yeah. is what I should have done. Well, this is it. It's so easy to get swept up in the, in the frenzy. And um, I have to admit, I have been spending, when I've been buying big ticket things that I had been holding out for, so... A dining yeah, table, chairs. Exactly I think, I think that, that is the thing is that people will buy, be selective about what they buy because they really want it rather than just that, um, you know, just thinking, oh, that looks great. I'll buy it. Uh, it's they're probably not browsing as much. They're making more um, targeted shopping trips now. Yeah, and perhaps more of a focus on Christmas gifts rather than, you know, self-care and, and buying for yourself as we've seen in the past because Black yeah. Friday is always a, a nice time to indulge, but maybe we'll see a little bit less of that this year. I think it'll be less impulse buying. That's what's happening, really. Yeah, for sure. Well, that brings us to a close for today. Thank you so much for joining me, Maureen, and to our listeners. Make sure you check out the show notes where you can learn more about Maureen and also connect with her on social media. Thank you for listening to Retail Disrupted. If you enjoyed this episode and would like to support the podcast, please leave a rating or review or share it with others. It really makes a difference.